DW Living Planet with Sarah Stephan. Warm welcome from our cool studios in the sweltering hot city of Bonn, Germany. I'm your host, Sarah Steffen. What to do when it's hot out? Well, get to a spot in the shade and drink plenty of water. But what do you do if there isn't enough fresh drinking water around? Just last week, the World Resources Institute said that a quarter of the world's population doesn't have enough water to meet the demand for drinking, agriculture and industry. And that number is set to rise. This week, World Water Week, the leading conference on global water issues, was in full swing in Stockholm. So, join me as we explore ways to combat water scarcity. When the air water generator came to a hospital, I was surprised to discover that it could collect water simply from the air, filter it and dispense it. It's great that modern technology has advanced in this way, and it's very convenient. This machine has shown us that we can use water even if there's a shortage. In agriculture, the water should be used properly. By that I mean, if you use advanced methods, new technologies, water can be saved. But if you use the traditional method, it consumes more. Basically, we are not adding anything. We are not putting any kind of stress on the land. We are not aggravating the problem of water logging. We are not adding any water. We are not adding any water. What we are doing in already existing saline water, we are culturing our organism for the livelihood of these farmers. Bengaluru in India, which has been dubbed the country's IT capital, has been facing a severe water crisis due to a rapidly growing population, urbanization and climate change. The city's lakes, rivers and groundwater have been polluted and overexploited. Indian companies have started to tap into the moisture in the air to make safe, clean drinking water. How does it all work? Evelyn McLafferty has more in this report by Vivek Mohan. At a hospital in Bengaluru, patients stroll up and down corridors. But very quietly in a corner sits a machine. It's a brown box metal structure and at the same height sits right next to a water cooler. It's actually hooked up to the water cooler because it's making water directly from the air around it. It's an air-water machine. Nurse Shoti is excited about its environmental impact. When the air water generator came to a hospital, I was surprised to discover that it could collect water simply from the air, filter it and dispense it. It's great that modern technology has advanced in this way and it's very convenient. This machine has shown us that we can use water even if there's a shortage. In Bengaluru city, water problems are not uncommon. Vishwanath has been working on the issue for over 30 years. Water generators have been around in Singapore for some years. Now they're also coming in into India. The air water generators are being used in um, hospitals, in nursing homes, in large community demand spaces, as well as in some rich apartments, uh, households. Air water generators uh, work on the same philosophy as air conditioners do. The industry is at an ascent stage. The science behind the technology is simple. 
At a certain temperature, called dew point, the water vapour in the air condenses. This then becomes liquid water, and to make it suitable for drinking, it's infused with essential minerals. Via a Zoom chat, we spoke to Ramkrishna Mukhavil, the founder of The Manufacture, who's in another state. We were keen to talk to him, given that the company Maytree Aquatech says that it has so far produced 2.25 million litres of water from the air. The demand is predominantly coming from two quarters. One area where there is scarcity of water, either in terms of quantity or quality, and that can be small residential places, large corporates, or even the people going to Coast Guard, people going to the sea. Most of the other demand is also coming from large corporations who want to have a sustainable play and look at it from a sustainability angle, and they want to be there. The most common type water filters are so-called reverse osmosis filters and use either piped water in cities or groundwater as their source. But in India, both are in short supply and can be contaminated. India's groundwater is depleting faster than in any other country on the planet. In traditional type water filtering processes, unsuitable water is rejected, which actually wastes up to 75% of the source water. The rejected water, depending on the source, can also contain salts and contaminants that are then sent out into nature, and this can contribute to the cycle of water contamination. The air water system is different. It sucks in clean water from the atmosphere, meaning it provides clean drinking water. The large machines also reduce the need for plastic bottled water. With such promise, other startups are looking into this, like Uravu Labs in Karnataka, in the southwest of India. They're creating water from air in a slightly different way, using desiccant technology. Desiccant materials are drying agents like silica gel that can absorb and hold moisture. Pardeep Garg, the co-founder of Uravu Labs, shows us one of the machines. So this machine produces water from air and as the air is getting sucked through the machine, something called adsorption happens. During adsorption process, the desiccant material picks up humidity from humidity in air. We move that desiccant material to another machine called desorption machine. Mass that was adsorbed earlier will now be dissolved in form of water vapor that is condensed. This water that we make is actually distilled in nature. While the water now comes from a clean and renewable source, this company sells it in glass or plastic bottles raising questions surrounding its sustainability. The question of waste from single-use bottles remains, and there are other questions about the technology too, says Vishwanath, the water expert we heard from earlier. One major externality could potentially be the sucking away of a lot of water vapour from a closed atmosphere, which means that humidity levels may drop there if water generators are being used at large scale. This is potentially not a big worry right now, but it could become one. We will need to make sure that we track it and manage it adequately so that it does not become a negative feature of the air water generator. The technology is also energy intensive, leading to higher carbon emissions, although both companies offer their technologies paired with renewable sources for energy as well. The energy requirement when we produce water from air uh, um, can, be, can be little higher when compared to the conventional processes like you know, digging groundwater and then using reverse osmosis. But the good part here in our case is that our technology is designed in such a way when compared to our other competitors that we can easily couple our technology with the renewable energy options such as solar, PV uh, um, and waste heat, biomass option. 
a niche product with promise. In the race to provide water to an increasingly parched country, air water generators could play a role in supporting water needs in Bengaluru and beyond. Evelyn McLafferty with that report by Vivek Mohan. And we stay in India, but move up from the south to the north to the state of Punjab. There, poor soil quality is making life difficult for the farmers. In many cases, the problem is saline water. It makes it impossible for plants to grow in the soil. But scientists in the region have come up with a solution to keep using the water and secure people's livelihoods. Instead of growing crops in the ground, they are encouraging farmers to turn to shrimp farming. Kathleen Schuster with a report by Christiana Vieira Teixeira. Just a few kilometers from the India-Pakistan border lies the village of Shajarana in Punjab. It's home to farmer Ajay Kumar. The young man shows us his field, but it's sparse and empty, void of any crops. The greatest threat Ajay and many other farmers in this area face is the loss of their agricultural livelihoods, which date back generations in their families. We cannot grow anything here. We even have to purchase grains for our own consumption. I have a debt of four to five hundred thousand rupees. I couldn't repay the debts because farming was unproductive. The reason for the poor soil quality is visibly apparent. At first glance, it seems like the fields are covered with a thin layer of snow. Ajay Kumar picks up some of the white powder with his fingers. In fact, it's a thin layer of salt. This is an increasingly common sight in this once fertile region, and the accumulation of salt affects soil quality and it's ruining farmers' crops. Hansraj is another farmer in the region. The water is saline here. We sow the seeds and plough the fields, but the crops eventually die. Or it might grow a little and then it dies. The Indian state of Punjab gets its name from the five perennial rivers that flow through its plains. Starting in the 1960s, the Green Revolution transformed agriculture here. Hybrid seed varieties, mechanized farming, pesticides and fertilizers began to be used to maximize agricultural yields. Dr. O.P. Chaudhry, principal soil chemist at the Punjab Agricultural University, is visiting the local farmers to see the extent of the problem. He says Punjab has become a victim of its own success, which was first engineered by the well-known agricultural scientist Dr. Kalkat. Dr. Kalkat, who used to be the director of agriculture, he used the jail facility, jail inmates, to make small packets of that Mexican varieties of rice and wheat and to distribute it to the farmers in throughout the state. And then uh, once they uh, sniffed very high economic returns out of high-yielding rice and wheat varieties, and they started growing more and more of uh, these uh, crops. And because of that, it took toll on the soil and water resources with time, and uh, the soil got depleted, the groundwater got depleted, On the one hand, parts of Punjab are facing severe depletion of the underground water table and they're having to rely on irrigation from faraway water sources. On the other hand, 
Parts of Punjab are facing waterlogging, where the water table is so high that it brings up underground salts and makes the land barren once the water evaporates. Dr. O.P. Chaudhry explains more. In some areas like Muksar and Mulot and Fadilka, the waterlogging has started coming up. Why? Because you are not dis extracting any groundwater. You are you're using surface water conveyed through canals time and again, and rather you have now shifted from cotton, which is less water-requiring crop, four to five irrigation, to a rice, which is more water-requiring crop, needing around 20 to 25 uh, irrigations in a season. So you are filling the already filled glass. So you are not dry withdrawing, you are recharging, and, and that's the major reason. That's why novel methods of agriculture are being developed. One solution involves using the excess water to create large square saline ponds. This is where we meet Dr. Prabjit Singh, who's been working to help save farmers' livelihoods for a decade now. He's been training local farmers to transition to shrimp farming. Even though Punjab has five major rivers, fish is not a major element of the Punjabi diet, and saline aquaculture was unthinkable not long ago. Dr. Singh, who works for the Department of Fisheries Resources Management at Gadvosu University, had an idea to turn inland saline areas into aquaculture ponds so farmers can earn a living. Basically, we are not adding anything. We are not putting any kind of stress on the land. It's a waterland land, and the, if, if you go down, the, you will find water just 5 or 10 feet below you have the water. So we are just, and sometimes the water is seeping automatically. So we are not... We are not aggravating the problem of water logging. We are not adding any water. We are not adding any water. What we are doing in already existing saline water, we are culturing our organism for the livelihood of these farmers. With a bucket and a net, the farmers turned fishermen haul up their catch. Dozens of wriggling little shrimp. The shrimp needed to start an aquaculture pond are sourced from India's coastal states. Dr. Singh holds one of them in the palm of his hand. These seeds, as he refers to them, are released into dugout ponds under strict biosecurity protocols. The trials for this project began back in 2014 on one hectare of saline area. Today, more than 100 farmers in this district alone are running aquaculture farms on a total of 450 hectares. Dr. O.P. Chaudhry explains more. I don't want to advocate that we should create saltwater ponds. But that is the need of the art because uh, to, uh, to create catchments around that pond, you can fill it, you know, go, grow, you know, dig it deep to make a pond. And then uh, we, we never advocate that we should add salts. It's not recommended. The only thing is if there is salt problem and if there is water logging problem occurring together in some areas, then the only way forward is saline water agriculture. However, it's necessary to proceed carefully. Taking agricultural land and turning it into saltwater ponds can have disastrous consequences, from biodiversity loss to contamination of water tables. Farmers in coastal countries like Bangladesh and Vietnam have been known to pump salt into paddy fields in order to facilitate farming shrimp. But Dr. Prabjit Singh warns against this. The good agricultural land should not be converted into shrimp farming because the adjoining areas can also become salinized if it is carried in the middle of a 
good uh, good land or something like by deliberately pumping the water saline water from the deep so only where the water table is high and where the soil is already saline water is already saline let us do shrimp farming demand for indian shrimp from china and the us has grown the shrimp production here to 4000 tons per year farmers cooperation with scientists is once again helping them adjust to the new circumstances without worsening the ecological balance Kathleen Schuster there presenting a report by Christiane Vieira Teixeira And from raising shrimp in salty waters in India we check in with fish farmers in Nigeria who have taken to sustainable agriculture to boost the country's food security They use fish feed made from organic waste and say they don't need to add conventional chemical antibiotics Inna Kamuls has more with this story by Odonayo Oyeni and Wolf Gebhardt. A writhing mass of catfish splash about in a small pond as Sean Ogunlana tosses fish food into the water from the grassy shore. His almost choreographed movements show he's already done this countless times. He's been raising fish like these for the past 10 years and now owns four of these ponds. But he's not the only one here. In the southwest of Nigeria, not far from the metropolis of Lagos, around 1200 farmers jointly run this huge everywhere fish farm. In the next pond over, three farmers help each other haul a net full of fish through the water. For farmers like Aluwashon Ogunlana, this place means good business. We actually stock about nothing less than 5000 pieces in the pond. So after putting them in the pond we make sure that we do feed them like 3 to 4 times in a day so that the number will not be reduced to the to the minimum Over at the feed mill workers process huge bags of leftovers brought from other companies through noisy machines they grind it down until it's fine as sand before processing it into fish food pellets a vital step to keep costs here low Every day the farmers produce 1 to 2 tons of fish feed, sometimes up to 6 tons at peak times. This do-it-yourself method is much cheaper than imported feed and more environmentally friendly. The feed mill operation manager Abinbola Ogunyi explains. The waste products we use are granite cake which is produced from after extracting oil from granite. We have byproducts from poultry which is poultry meal. It is gotten when poultry uh, poultry products are processed. after they have been processed the the edible one has been processed we have cocoa shafts which is gotten from cocoa we have cassava flour which is gotten from cassava peels keeping things around here as environmentally friendly as possible was all part of the plan when this farm was founded 20 years ago The Ariwe Farm Village is the result of a project spearheaded by Ogun State and various communities to help eradicate poverty in the region and provide people with a sustainable income. It worked, and now the farmers here can make a good living. From above, the farm looks like a lush patchwork of greenish pools. Although there's enough water in the region for aquaculture, the impact of intensive farming on the environment hasn't yet been investigated. To keep the water in the basins clean, the farmers use salt. The used water is then discharged, untreated, into the Eriwe River. At another part of the farm, workers throw still flopping fish into big red buckets. 
they are covered up and loaded onto a truck. Around five tons of fish are sold daily at Everywhere Farm, and demand is only increasing as Nigeria's population continues to grow. Eiwunmi Falaye, a professor of aquaculture and fisheries from the University of Ibadan, says this kind of farm may one day become an important factor in maintaining food security here. It enables the community to produce variety of food items, animal protein, that is the fish, so that can enrich the food base, the food requirements, whereby. Uh, the community will have an array of uh, valuable food materials. To spur this along, the Iriwe Farm Village now also provides on-site training sessions as part of several international projects that have been launched across Nigeria. Today, a trainer stands before a small group sitting on white plastic chairs. According to the whiteboard, this presentation covers best management practices in fish farming. The trainers focus on environmentally friendly methods and also offer alternatives to conventional chemical antibiotics. The farm's head of aquaculture, Blessing Akinyelo, explains: salt and some other things, uh, some uh, some vegetables, uh, some leaves are good antibiotics, and the fact that they are natural, it it helps us, it assures us that we are not doing something toxic to the environment and to the fish and to the people at large. Back at one of his ponds, Sean Ogunlana is busy topping up the water. He originally wanted to become an accountant, but aquaculture has provided him with economic stability, like many others here. Ah, hey, money's speaking. In the future, the collective also wants to recycle water for use in agriculture as part of an integrated farming system, potentially making aquaculture even more sustainable. Inika Mules with that story by Odonayo Orieni and Wolf Gebhardt. story we hear about an unexpected water blessing underground granted the water source was already found a couple of decades ago but it's still going strong the nubian sandstone aquifer as it's called lies beneath four countries in africa's northeast namely sudan egypt libya and chad sudan has the largest share of groundwater as the region's population is growing so is demand for water This report by Naba Mohideen and Julia Mielke is presented by Natalie Muller. The further north you go in Sudan, the more arid it gets. Hundreds of kilometers of desert with no signs of life anymore. It's hard to believe, but beneath this endless brown sand is a huge reservoir of water, stretching from Egypt through Sudan to Chad and Libya. Called the Nubian sandstone aquifer, it was discovered during oil drilling in the 1950s. 
Geologist Abdullah Omar has been studying the aquifer for 20 years. In some places, its water lies close to the surface. Omar tapped into one source in the El Ga'ab region during test drilling in 2004. The supply of fresh water has fundamentally changed the region, Omar says, standing against a backdrop of lush green vegetation. In the northern location, the depth is 60 metres or less. Can you imagine one irrigation system that can irrigate 50 hectares? That's unique, and it indicates the powerful flow of the reservoir. Local desert villages such as Ga'ab el-Hasha have benefited most. Since the source's discovery 20 years ago, they've had regular access to water. Farmers like Abdul Hafiz Said have made the most of it. He owns fields covering several hundred hectares and can grow a wide range of fruit and vegetables, from fava beans to sorghum and alfalfa. This year, he's mainly grown wheat. Said carefully inspects his light green wheat plants. His fields extend as far as the eye can see. He knows water remains precious. In agriculture, the water should be used properly. By that I mean, if you use advanced methods, new technologies, water can be saved. But if you use the traditional method, it consumes more. Abdul Hafiz Said can irrigate his fields regularly, thanks to the wells he's had built over the years. Each source costs him the equivalent of 450 euros, but after that, the villagers and the farmers get the water for free, transforming this once arid desert region into a fertile green oasis. The Nubian sandstone aquifer is the world's biggest fossil water reservoir. That means that water accumulated here hundreds of thousands of years ago and became trapped underground. But the aquifer's water reserves are finite. While some areas have a very low recharge rate, others have none at all. Some researchers think the aquifer could last another 200 years, but that is neither certain nor is it a long time. Transnational agreements and a UN project aim to ensure the water is used fairly and sustainably. Sudan's government agreed on a new law on water use in 2022, overseen by the Ministry for Irrigation and Water Resources. So far, they've built 38 small wells for the public and six deep wells for research purposes. Water expert Othman Ahmed of Sudan's Ministry of Irrigation and Water Resources is sitting in his office, pulling up data on his laptop. He's examining a map of the region on his screen. Piles of documents are stacked in a glass cabinet behind him. We studied the possibility of wheat production in the northern and river Nile states. We found out that we can grow more than 210,000 hectares of wheat in some areas using the water of the aquifer without causing a drop in water levels or impacting the aquifer. Up to now, the huge amounts of water stored in the aquifer have not been measurably depleted. Nevertheless, the region's population is growing in size, and the numbers of farmers and herders too. Geologist Abdullah Omar regularly visits the villages in the northern state to monitor water use. 
There are 11 devices spread out over the entire northern state that are intended to monitor the changes occurring in the water level. Increasing desertification linked to climate change means water is more important than ever in this region. If the fossil water from the huge aquifer is used wisely, it could help humans and animals survive here. Natalie Muller there with a report by Naba Mohideen and Julia Mielke. And that wraps up the show for today. Thanks so much for listening. If you have feedback or topics you want covered, you can always reach out to us at livingplanet at dw.com. The studio team was Wiebke Tegtmeier and Jonas Joosten. I'm Sarah Steffen. Bye for now. Okay, so-